Today on the Chainsaw Carving Podcast, I'm going to talk to Brandon Kroon from BK Carvings, and Brandon is talking to us all the way from Australia. Uh, We talk about a lot of things, but one cool thing that I talk about with Brandon is about his unique style. He does a lot of carvings that are very mechanical, um, like trains and trucks, so be sure to listen in and see what he has to say about that. Hi, Brandon. Hi, how are you? Good. It's good to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always interesting trying to make sure and figure out the time difference and pull it all off, but <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, no, this is this is perfect. Like I said, it's it's about to really pour down rain outside, so it's nice to sit inside and talk to you. It's good. Good. Perfect. So What's your story? How did you get into chainsaw carving? It's always interesting to hear everybody's different path. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's a, um, a little bit different, aren't they? So I, I've been carving now for five and a half years full time. Um, look, I first saw chainsaw, chainsaw carving done when I was a kid, it, you know, like an agricultural show. And that always stuck in my mind as something um, really inspiring and interesting. And then then for the next sort of decade after that, I didn't really pay any attention to it. I finished school and I started uh, my qualification in motorbike mechanics and I did that for five years. And then one weekend, um, you know, we sort of had a little bit of land and, and chainsaws and um, a wood, you know, a good stock of logs and things like that. And so one weekend I just decided to to give it a try and um, it really took off from there. My first carving was pretty ordinary, but um, it was actually a monkey head. So uh, okay. I, I loved it, but it, it, it was pretty average. But it, I really got the sense that this is, this is exciting and this is what I'd like to do more of. So, um, so that's how it all sort of started. And then from there, I think um, I sort of tracked down the different Australian carvers that were, that were going around to different shows at the time. Um, and it worked out really well that that I actually met a few of them at quite a, a quiet show, and so they had time to sort of um, sit down and chat with me. And those there was two carvers in particular at the time, and the first one was Robbie Robbie Bast, and the second mm-hmm. one was Eddie Freeman, and they um, shared a lot of insight with their their equipment, um, their gear that they use, and um, really encouraged me from that point. So. Um, yeah, I'd already been carving for, for quite a few months before I met them, but from there we sort of, uh, started to build that relationship with both of them and, um, yeah, get some tips and advice and look, really that was, that was for a few months and then, um, and then I sort of went out on my own and, um, continued to develop and hone my skills and, and the orders and, and commissions just kept coming in. And so we're looking sort of five and a half years later and it hasn't really slowed down. It's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So, yeah. Isn't that fun? I know I've, and I'm doing it part-time, so I can't say full-time wise, but I have so many orders that I just don't want to even take anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You get overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So I saw that recently you did a two man quick carve in Lithuania. How, yeah. how did that go? Had you done that before? Never. I've never done that before. I've always 
thought it would be great to collaborate with another carver, but, um, I mean, the idea of a two-man quick carve sounds quite um, sort of dangerous to me, but um, yeah, it, that's um, what I it, it worked. Just the, the opportunity came up in Lithuania. Really, we had to do do sort of like a charity carve, and we had um, two hours to do it, but there was 20 carvers and 10 logs, and so um, in the end we were like, hey, well, we're all pretty tired after the competition. Um, why don't we share the load and and do a two-man speed carve? And so, um, yeah, a lot of carvers sort of did did uh, two sort of separate pieces which joined together at the end, which was really cool. It's just so cool to see all the yeah. different, different styles coming together. Um, and I had met Jason Emmons from the US um, the week before and um, and we'd, we'd hit it off really well. It was really good to finally meet him after hearing um, a lot about him. Um, and so, yeah, we we sort of had that had a good sort of bond going and we thought, well, you know, let's, let's carve this one together. Um, I had seen him do this really cool little um, workshop, like tractor workshop the in a quick carve a, a mm-hmm. few days before it. And I thought, well, it'd be cool to incorporate that and then, you know, have, have that under a tree and then, then create sort of this village type looking um, sort of mystic house. And um, I think, I think the key with it is that is that bringing both ideas together and 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 really joining both ideas and um, not dominating each other? I think um, yeah. is 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 really important and also just trusting the other person. Um, I think if you've got awareness at all times of where they are, you know, you're sort of always 180 degrees around from them, and um, and thinking about like your cuts, like obviously I wouldn't do a, pl- a plunge cut if he's on the other side of the lot. <laughs> right you might cop it um so yeah just just having an awareness and and obviously as well like you know the whole time we we're just like picking up off cuts and making sure our leads weren't getting tangled because if you trip over your your uh your carving mate then it, you'll um it's probably going to be pretty messy so um <laughs> yeah just just things like that but it actually it actually worked well and even jason said at the end he said that was so much easier than i thought it was going to be Mm-hmm. Um, so that actually worked well, but I can imagine in different situations, um, you know, doing this, it, it'd probably be a different story. I was kind of wondering, I'm like, do you get to pick who you do it with or do you know yeah. the person? And it almost sounds <laughs> like a carving yeah. and a dance at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. I think some people maybe didn't get a choice in the end, but we were sort of, um, straight onto it. It's just like, hey, do you want to do this? Yep, let's do it. All right. Yeah. So we're we're pretty fortunate, I think, that that worked out well. But it it ended up looking really cool in the end. I was I was blown away. It's great. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I saw your piece with the draft horses, mm. and it was so amazing, and it was huge, and it was one yeah. of those pieces that just goes viral because people were sending it to me like look at this cool carving and I'm like I know that guy yeah right (laughs) and uh so how were you able to pull that off did you have help or it was so big scale yeah it was massive wasn't it um look I got those four horses done over four months um with other jobs in between so I think I think when I tell it up it was it was it was well under two weeks a horse in the end, which is which is crazy. I didn't expect to get them done that quick. Uh, yeah, 
but I think I'm, I just made sure that I pretty much, we moved into our new house um, while I had that job, you know, sort of in the works. Like there was a lot of months there of, of going over the design, um, the, the client changing the design a lot. And so it was, there was a long run up to that job. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the sizes changed, the positions changed, the details changed, the species changed. Um, and so, yeah, there was a long run up to it, but I had plenty of time because I knew this was going to be such a big commission. Um, I had a lot of time to set up the workshop um, and get get good lifting equipment, um, select my logs and, and mark all my logs, you know, months in advance and all the sections. Mm-hmm. And so when it came to starting the job, it, it, it really came together quite quick just from that long run up, I suppose. And then from there, you sort of, you know, carve it for a, for a couple of days, for a few days, and then have a break and work on something else. Uh, mm-hmm. It was actually, it was actually uh, a pretty enjoyable job. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, by the third horse, it was, I probably had the best horse at number three. And then the fourth one was probably, probably the worst. <laughs> I guess I was, <laughs> I was over it. But right. um, yeah, look, and I mean, the reception, I got from that job was yeah um unbelievable really yeah something else yeah it was good yeah, I think it's a lot of effort to create big pieces but they sure like attract attention and especially if they're done quality like that yeah thank you yeah. wow I appreciate that um yeah, like I said so many people sent them to me and they're like isn't this amazing and I'm going <laughs> yes it is <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you're not sick of me yet then well, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it went went beyond my expectation. That's for sure. And I never thought because it's never really been my style to focus on um animal animal carvings and anatomy. Um, usually mm-hmm. I like focusing on on machinery and things like that. That's really I really love carving. So it's interesting that that became so popular. Um, those pieces. But yeah, it's sure. it's one it's one that I'll probably remember for the rest of my life. Cool. And that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you next. Um, I've, you know, I've seen you when we were in Australia, you carved, I don't know, like a truck or what do you guys call yeah, it? Yeah, a, a, a land cruiser. Yeah, it's like an <laughs> a Australian, land cruiser. Okay. An and, uh, Australian ute or, or truck. Yeah. Yep. And then um, over here at the U.S. Open, I think you carved a train. Mm. And I... I am all about like flow and like organic shapes and natural things. And I can't stand carving mechanical stuff, but you do so well at it. You want to talk about that some? Oh, wow. I look, I've always loved doing that, that style of carving. When I first started carving, when I first started, I did a, I did a big motorbike carving. And I remember I met with Bob King and he said, he said, man, I hate straight lines. I can't do straight lines. Uh-huh. You know, that's not fun. And I sort of thought, hey, like I love doing this sort of stuff. And if I've got other carvers around me saying they don't like doing it, I was like, well, maybe I should I should keep trying it because it's it's obviously something a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. So from there, yeah, I've really I've really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, with having a background in in um, in enduro motorbike mechanics and things like that, I've always had a passion for machinery. Um, and so, yeah, I've sort of developed that as I've, as I've gone. Um, I think, I think the main, the main thing is to get the proportions right. So if you get the first, the first few cuts, right, um, you measure all everything out, you know, to the exact, the exact mill or inch, um, 
And then, um, so if, if someone's sort of standing 50 meters back, they can go, I know that's instantly a bike or that's instantly an old locomotive or something. Um, you want to mm-hmm. get that, you want to capture those, those first proportions, those first cuts. Um, from there, I, um, I take it, you know, I might look at 20 to 30 reference pictures of different, let's just say we're talking about trains. I'll grab 20 or 30 different reference pictures of, of trains and out of those, I'll probably select two or three and they'll be the only ones I work with for the, for the rest of the project. And I'll pick, I'll pick out certain things that stand out to me from those pictures and I'll make sure that I include them in the carving. And once they're in, it might be, you know, you might go, all right, I need to have this, the cabin of this train nailed. I need to have that front grill of the train nailed. Um, and then from there, you can sort of just, just uh, freestyle it. And, you know, I can go, I can put a pipe in there. I can put an extra wheel in there if I want to. I can put a couple more exhaust pipes in there. Um, I think once you've sort of captured the proportions at first, and then you've got a few key elements that, that are recognizable that you want to include, from there, you can just go crazy and include whatever you want, and you'll probably have a pretty um, great-looking piece. So that's that's sort of the process I go through in um, in getting the this sort of um, yeah industrial carvings done. But the sure. the important thing is that first day of proportions, I think, or that first section of proportions, getting them right. I think that's good advice because one of the things that intimidates me in my mind is. Well, you know, what if there's supposed to be three wheels and I end up with so much space I have to put in four? Or what if I only end yeah. up with two? And, you know, when you're saying, you know, get yeah. the main things yeah, and then you can kind of fit things in from there, that that eases the pressure a little bit of getting it perfect. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty much the first thing that stands out to you in a picture. You probably need to put it into your carving, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In some in some way, it can be you can have your own spin on it. But if that's what captures you about it, the piece, um, then yeah, it's probably going to be good to that you include it. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I don't even know if it was 2017 when I was in Australia, but your your Land Cruiser or whatever you yeah. called it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. It was so cool. It had so many details because I remember they had the Carver's Judge, and I yeah. so I looked it over pretty close, and I. I thought it was awesome. So. <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen carvings like that that were so detailed and mechanical. Great, so. thank you. That's uh, that means a lot. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so do you have any advice for carvers who are looking to start a carving business? Uh yeah, yeah. Look, uh, not a lot. I guess when I started the business, I was actually still living at home, um, and so it wasn't a massive wasn't a big risk for me, if that makes sense. So I didn't really mm-hmm. have a lot over my head. I didn't have a, you know, a young family or a, or a house or anything. So it was sort of like, Hey, if this fails, um, I can just go back to my, back to my old job and it's all good. I haven't really lost anything. So I suppose the, the transition was pretty smooth for me, but it was, it was pretty scary in the way that it's something completely different. I wouldn't say I've got a great business mind on me, um, but yeah, I think, I think starting the business, a few things, a few things happened that, that I could give advice on. And, um, the first one is probably like, you know, to find a catchy sort of business name and logo 
ended up being quite a big thing for me um because as as i as i started to go around to different you know different shows do different public commissions and things like that i would have brandon croon chainsaw carving mm-hmm. uh, which was great but by the time people get you know they meet me um and then they get back in their car they drive half an hour and they go home they're like what was his name again and they obviously have to spell it right to find me on you know on facebook or google or anything like that um, sure. So I think having that simple changing it from Brandon Croon ch- chainsaw carving to BK carving, I think that was really helpful for my business, and I ended up getting a whole lot more traction um, with people. It was more catchy and um, recognizable, I guess. And to incorporate that with a simple logo, um, which is which is what the what's in the BK carving logo, um, mm-hmm. sort of just stays in people's mind, and and they'll remember that. Um, so I think that was I think that was good, and I've spoken to a few other carvers, and they share that same same view that to make a sort of catchy um, name. Well, that's good advice because I saw I saw that you were BK carving, and I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. I wonder why you shortened it. And yeah, everything BK over here is like Burger King. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> it is like you said, wow. it yeah. sticks in your mind. So yeah, 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 that's, yeah. That's a good tip. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, how many ways is there to spell Brandon or Brendan or Brennan or, you know, there's so many different ways. Yeah. Like, oh, man, let's just get rid of that and mm-hmm. and simplify it. Um, yeah, and I think I think um, when you start your own business, um, I, I know I got pretty overwhelmed when I saw different carvers doing their work and um, it's so amazing, um, but I was just always constantly told to start small and just, just you know start with smaller logs and you're not going to have a whole lot of tools at the start so just um you know just start start with smaller carvings and you'll eventually work your way up um so yeah that's that's probably the only advice I've I've got for now if I thought about it I could probably come up with a bit more but um yeah no that's okay that's good I like that so have a simple name easy to remember I I like the tip too about smaller carvings at first you know because yeah you said with the limited tools that and maybe logs that's all you can do but I know a lot of times when you're at events too or trying to sell things things that are easy to carry and maybe at the lower price points go faster definitely yeah that's right and people can sort of envision a place at their house they can put the carving you know Mm -hmm. you know they don't have to clear out a big spot in their garden for it or they can you know and they might have the cash at hand as well so yeah starting is really really handy yeah how do you as a carver make sure that you keep growing or like what do you study or how do you learn more about carving yeah look I think from the start from the start I've always sort of said well um, I need to be open to open to criticism and I need to be open to advice. And um, one of the biggest things I've learned is that um, it's great to get, it's so good to get advice from, from, from mature carvers or other carvers around you. And I think that's really important and that's great for technique and, and, um, and things like that. But also just from your everyday people that, that walk by, I think often as you know, we're going to call ourselves professionals or whatever mm-hmm. we can you know only listen to people that that understand how ca- how carving works but 
if you think about it, you know, everyone that's passing you, that's looking at your stuff, say if you're doing human form, you know, they've looked in the mirror the same amount of times you have, you know, they know, they know how a face looks. And so I think if I get, if I do get on the occasion, um, you know, public saying, oh, you know, the, the expression seems a bit funny or this or the, that, the, the upper of his arm seems a bit long or it's a bit short, then um, I think it's important that you still take that on within reason um, and sort of you can verify that with it, with a couple of different people, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't make changes on your work just based upon one person's opinion. But I think right. it's important to take in um, opinions of not just um, carvers but other people as well. And I think by doing that I've learnt a lot and it might suck at at first when you when you pour your heart into a piece to get advice from people um, and you feel like you go backwards a little bit but nearly always in a year's time I look back and I go hey my work's changed a bit um, I've really developed that style and I reckon I can pinpoint it to when someone um, has has sort of given advice on it so I think I think the minute you shut yourself off to advice and, and criticism from other people, you, you don't, you're not really growing anymore. So, um, again, within reason, I think, I think you need to verify it, um, between a couple of people or more. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important that you keep growing. Um, the other thing I would think is, um, continue to try new equipment, you know, um, there's so many tools that just keep coming out. There's so many different ways to color your carving, to coat your carving, to to carve your carving, um, different tools to use. And so um, it's good to experiment on different things that are going to give a different texture. And I've seen that some carvers can get sort of stuck in their ways and just go, hey, well, I've always used this saw. Um, I've always used just a, you know, just these couple of power tools. I'm good and I don't need to try anything. And even though that's, that will happen as a chainsaw carver. You'll sort of find your own group of tools that you like using um, and the finish they give. Um, I think it's good to keep your eyes open, see what other carvers are using and try different things because you're going to continue to develop your, your style. No, that's good advice. I know because I sometimes I'll try a tool that someone else has and I'll be going, oh my goodness, where was this my whole life? Because mm. that works incredible for the, something that I've struggled with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's good advice. Yeah. Um, I like to, when you say you're asking for criticism, yeah. I've found sometimes, you know, I'll ask people for criticism and they kind of give you the sugar-coated version. <laughs> and yeah. Because they're afraid, right? Because a lot of times people ask for an opinion and then they don't really want it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I remember one time I was at the U.S. Open and I, I wasn't in the competition, but I was carving and I asked Steve Higgins how my bear looked, you know, and he gave me some <laughs> like, oh, it's looking really good. It's a cute bear. It's going to yeah. sell, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, no, I actually want like cri legit critique my bear, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, and then he went into like how the spine was wrong and where my leg was wrong and where the ears should be. And he's he's checking with me like, are are we are we are still we, good? Are we good? And I'm yeah. like, no, this is, this is awesome. I'm like writing down everything he's saying. Mm. And I and I know that the next bear I carved was so much better. Yeah. So sometimes too, you have to really assure someone that yeah. I want I want all of it: the good, the bad, the ugly. That's right. But, yeah. 
Yeah. So I always tell my students that story because I'm, I try to teach them to be able to take, you know, criticism and it's tough sometimes, but it's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm at the stage now where my wife Meg is, is too good at criticism and (laughs) (laughs) yeah. All right. That's enough now. I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy with this. So that's all right. <laughs> I don't, my, my husband, Eric is my best critic too. Yeah, to the yeah, point yeah. where sometimes, you know, my, my family will be around and my dad's like, Ooh, you know, he's being a little harsh on your, on your carving. And I'm going, no, I've actually trained him to tell me exactly what he sees. <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, it is good. I mean, they've, they've, I they've, they've been that. around you. They've been around you so long. They've seen what you can carve. They've seen what you can do. So they're going to have a pretty good opinion, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, and maybe you covered this a little bit already, but do you have any other advice about tools yeah definitely I think when you when you sort of just mentioned then like when you try a different carver's tool and you go oh man this is so so handy this is so good um that's always that's always great to sort of um look out for what other people are using on the same token you might have you know you might borrow a tool off a off a carver that they're just loving and you try it and you just go, it's just not really me. Like it's not really working. It doesn't really work with <laughs> the style that I want. Um, sure. So that's that's me. Like for, for example, those those little finger filers, you know, those um, a lot of carvers are using them and I've, I've tried them a couple of times and it's just like, nah, <laughs> it's not really, you know, it's just not really working for me. I can see what they can do, um, but right. it's not. It just doesn't really. I also have one of those that I don't use, yeah. and I have tried and tried and tried. Yeah, I, I get you. love it, but it just doesn't really fit in with your sort of cachet of tools. You, you know what you like using. So, look, I think, um, I think when when you look around at different carvers, um, you know, you can, like I said before, you can get overwhelmed. Some carvers, you know, they might use you know four or five die grinders and and one angle grinder, or they might use six saws on a piece, or um, they might they might um, burn their piece, they might paint their piece, they might airbrush their piece. Um, goodness, there's there's just so many combinations now, um, and I think I think eventually you sort of you can you can buy all these tools and you go, oh man, I've only got four die grinders, I better go get more. I've only got two. And you can sort of get these pieces, and then once you work out your style of carving. Um, you find that you're only, you know, like I only, you know, use two die grinders and, and one angle grinder at most, you know, I'm not even using that as much anymore. Um, and, and three saws, well, I've got other ones just hanging up in the shed that I'm not using as much. So in the end, you sort of find your, your sort of group of tools um, and the other ones sort of get, um, yeah, unused. So I think it's, I think it's important not to get overwhelmed by, by, um, other carvers and, and what tools they're using because you will you will settle down and, and find the group that you that you want um, sure yeah so um i i would say probably with tool advice for for carvers that are starting or maybe going have been carving for a little while is to spend um spend a good amount of money on on sharpening gear and a good amount of time learning how to sharpen a chain and I think that's probably the most helpful um, thing for for a chainsaw carver to learn. Um, yeah, it's just it just becomes so important how to quickly sharpen a chain, how to change 
um, that your sharpening style, you know, for different timbers, um, you know, get, you know, get good files, um, research your chains, things like that. And I think, I think that's just so valuable um, for people starting out. And um, yeah, I think a lot more attention should be put onto that for sure. Yeah, I know I've, I've been at some and obviously speed is important yeah. at home if you're, if you're trying to do it as a business, but I've seen people at competitions too, where they don't have properly sharpened chains. So they're just struggling and, yeah. and they're a great carver, but they can't pull it off because of their chain. Yeah, that's right. And, and often, you know, the quicker they file, you know, the, the quicker time, it's just like quick, I've got to sharpen this or get it done. It doesn't really matter. They ended up losing so much time and detail on their sculpture from having a poorly sharpened chain or unmaintained bars as well, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I would encourage, um, you know, up-and-coming carvers to, to really spend a lot of time training and learning how to how to maintain your saws and equipment. Um, yeah, 100%. So that's that's what I would recommend with some of that tool advice. I don't know why this this is kind of random. It just popped into my head when you were talking, but I have always struggled at competitions because you can't always park right where you're carving. Yeah. And you have to haul things back and forth. And I've never had, I don't have, you know, like a big Joe toolbox or, yeah. I don't know. I just didn't have anything good. And I just bought, it's called the Milwaukee Packout. Yep. And, uh, so, you know, the bottom tote is on wheels with a big handle and then they stack. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, it was kind of expensive, but I'm so happy. And my back is so happy because I was, you know, like lugging totes back and forth or trying to borrow people's carts. And yeah. now I just roll my tools right over and, and I'm good to go. And it's really easy to get it out of the truck because it comes in, you know, little parts, like yeah. one tote at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, super. super popped handy. into my head. I thought I'd mention it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, super handy. I've got a similar thing. So, um, yeah, yeah, it makes makes life so much easier. Just looking after your back and and not not hauling a lot of weight, doesn't it? I know. I should have spent the money a while ago. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's important. Sort of buying buying good lifting equipment. Um, when you start, obviously, you know. I had the same problem when I first started. I couldn't, I couldn't go out and buy a machine to pick up my logs and things like that. But um, right, um, yeah, you, you get by definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, at least it looks like, anyways, you've been traveling a lot lately. Oh, Do you have any tips for people that are traveling um, at all or overseas and making money when? when winning a competition is just a possibility and not a guarantee. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think a couple of things come into play with overseas competitions and and one is to to have a successful trip with carving and and you know coming back home with a little bit of money. But the other one that that sort of crosses over is is the desire to travel as well and see a new place. And so I think sure. I think two like both of those sort of things need to work with each other. I'm personally not like I don't love travel. Um, I've never really been brought up that way that I haven't really had the travel bug. And so it's growing on me now, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting better at it and I'm starting to really love it, but I'm sort of guy that, that likes sort of staying in my workshop and working around the house. Um, and then I'm, I'm married Meg and she's, she's travel crazy. And, um, so that's, that's been really good. We've sort of, um, joined in the middle somewhere and, um, and so, look, I think 
I think if you've got an overseas competition, which is in a country you you'll probably never get a chance to see again, and you're going to have you know a lot of your expenses paid, that's going to play a big part in in your influence to go or not. And so um, sometimes you might look at it and go, hey, well, there's not a lot of money on offer for this comp or whatever, but the opportunity is amazing. But I'm probably a little bit, you know, it's probably a bit easier for me to say that because we don't really have kids or anything. So we can sort of mm-hmm. just up and leave. But um, look, with um, with the comps, if if I was if I was to think of an area that I really could be effective in in making more money, I'd probably put more effort, time, and planning into your into my quick carbs, because I think when I do overseas competitions, first and foremost, you're thinking about your main piece, which you know it may get auctioned or it may be part of the deal that they keep that the, the host, um, but most of your, your your thought and effort goes into that main piece. I know that's certainly been the way for me, um, but really, as we were just talking about before that that um those small carvings that people can just put in their car um that they might have money on hand for they 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 can think of a spot to put it at home that's sort of like the stuff that really makes you money at the overseas comps and i think if we put a little bit more time into planning that thinking of creative um quick carves that are going to be attractive to people to buy um i think that's how you're probably going to make um the most profit on uh, on an overseas competition just planning that a little bit more um time and time again we see carvers um myself included that that just get too exhausted from doing the main piece so we just go i'm not going to do a quick carve today or leave it Uh, sure which is fine I've, I've, i've certainly done that and that's that there's a time for that but i think um yeah if you want to make a bit of income then that's that's usually the place to do it yeah and i know I, I like your tip about about thinking about it differently too and looking at it as an opportunity to travel because uh, I've always kind of done that with my family. If my family's coming with, I pick a competition where we want to go anyways. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so like, you know, we've gone, we've gone to Frederick in Colorado because, hey, it's right by Rocky Mountain National Park. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, we went to Ocean Shores because it's right by the ocean. And there's a really, there's really cool places you can drive on the way to get to Ocean Shores. And yeah. like this year, we're going to Reedsport because um, we'd love to see the red Redwoods. Right. Well, if we're going to drive out there anyways. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's a good, that's a good tip. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a big factor in it, isn't it? Like, it's I mean, you're going to have those memories for life and travel and see a place you've never seen. Um, right. Great. You probably won't ever prioritize that if it was outside of work. You know, like I, I would yeah. probably never say, "Hey, hey, Meg, let's go to Lithuania because I'm interested to see it." <laughs> like, we, we right. can't go. All right, well, let's drop the house renovations and let's go to Lithuania. That wouldn't happen. So, when this when this opportunity comes up, it's just like, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So the other thing I would say for advice with overseas competitions is to be um, work on your interaction with people. And this is particularly with overseas competitors. So if I was, if I was going overseas um, is to work on your people skills with people, because I think, I think it's so important um, to get, to get to know the culture you're going to Um you're not always going to have good auctioneers. That's just a fact of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. They're sort of just getting paid to do a job. They're not 
they're not really invested in your piece as much as you are. So I think if you can if you can get the um, get a connection with the audience and be able to work the crowd a bit um, and give them a glimpse of your culture, where you're from, I think that all helps in in selling your piece and also having an impact on the on the country that you're going to. Um, I think it's just so help, handy if you sort of just if you're reserved and you don't really want to make an effort even if there's a language barrier or whatever, people aren't going to really gravitate towards um, your, your work as much. Not saying that your work is based upon your your, your identity or, or your personality, but it really helps. If people feel like they know you and they know mm-hmm. what, you know, your character, they, um, they probably love your work even more, to be honest. Um, and so I think that's a big thing to do. And, for instance, like in Lithuania – during the auction, I was singing songs to people and I changed the lyrics, you know, to, to, um, to encourage them to buy this piece. And it, and it literally, it literally changed the whole auction. And I mean, that's, that's something that I love doing, you know, sort of singing and, and, and being a bit of an idiot, but, um, <laughs> you know, you've got to really hone in, like, what are you good at in interacting with people and, and, you know, <laughs> work on that, I think. I don't know. Is, is that is that helpful? It's sort of been helpful. No, I think, I think that is really helpful. And I know, you know, at, at auctions, a lot of times they'll have the carvers come up and talk about their piece or tell their story. And yeah. I think the people that are really good at storytelling, I think that's really effective and the audience feels a connection with you or, or people that are really good at singing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know at some events, you know, if you are in the competition and you carve a masterpiece and they don't give you the opportunity to talk at the auction, yeah. I'm always like, oh, shoot, like they're going to go, they're going to go lower. Yeah. You know, because the audience doesn't feel a connection. And, and sometimes I've been bold enough to step up and say, hey, can we say something? You know, right. can the carvers talk? And, and sometimes, like you said, you're like, oh, I'm not going to put in the effort today. And then you wish yeah. you would have. Yeah. Because I think you're right. It does make a difference. Oh, it does. And I mean, and like I said, it's not like your carving isn't, isn't always, you know, have a strong connection with, you know, it's not like they're buying a carving because you're a great guy. They, they're buying the carving because it's a masterpiece and it's awesome. But they do want to be part of the journey and get to know you because you, your character and your personality is in your carving. That's 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 all part of how you form your art. So they do want mm-hmm. to get to know you, and that's why I think it's so important. Yep, yep. So put in the effort. Ask the event if you can speak about your piece or sing to people before <laughs> before the auction. <laughs> yeah, do whatever. Yeah, that's that sounds that sounds great. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you have any other advice for carvers or anything that we haven't covered that you want to share? I do. Yeah, I do. Look, I was I was thinking about it. Um, one of the one of the biggest things for me that I've I've helped develop my skills is to work work with my, you know, continue to practice my chainsaw skills as much as possible. Um, and that's, that's been, that's been really helpful for me. So for instance, if I'm doing a carving, um, and I'm not so sure about something, it's usually good to, to get off the saw and go to your power tools and, and sort of shape things, um, slowly and bit by bit. Um, and sort of, if you are cautious, you sort of jump over to your power tools instead of the saw. Um, if that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. once you've done a piece a few times, you can get comfortable with going, all right, now I'll just go onto my power tools and I'll, I'll, you know, 
I'll finish the talons of this eagle or the hands of this person with my power tools. Um, but over my journey, I've sort of gone, no, I know, I know where the cuts are going to be. Um, how about I try doing this whole, this whole section with the saw? And, and so every carving I'm doing, I'm just trying to push to do it more and more and more with the saw and, and, and have that percentage of chainsaw carving on your piece um, continue to go up. So, and I think, mm-hmm. I think that's handy for a few reasons. I think, I think it's better for the entertainment side of things when you are performing or you're doing a competition. Um, it's certainly better for the speed of your carving. Um, mm-hmm. you, can get, you can get jobs done quicker. Um, and it's also, you know, it's good for quick carves and things like that as well. So um, I'm always challenging myself to go, all right, I know, I know what this needs to shape up to be like. So I'm actually going to let the saw do, you know, I'm going to do most of the work with the saw. Um, so I'm always trying to do that. And I would encourage, you know, other carvers to, um, if they're pretty comfortable and they, and they've sort of done the power tools finishing a lot. How about you try to start finishing it with the saw now? Um, and that's going to, that's going to challenge, challenge you and continue to develop your saw skill. So I think, I think that's, that would be a tip I would give to other carvers. No, oh, yeah, that's a good tip because it is tempting at first when you're not feeling as comfortable to, like you said, to switch over. Yeah. You can do so much with a saw. And I mean, I've seen that. Um, even more with other carvers yeah. uh, that do almost the whole thing from start to finish with a saw or some of the Japanese carvers yeah. uh, like Hayashi that they're working with a saw to the point where it looks like it's sanded and it's not, it's just the chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, Taka is one of those guys like we were just talking about on that previous um, message. He puts in so much um, effort with people to get to know people at competitions and he's so polite and such a likable person and his carving is absolutely brilliant and he's a good example of someone that really puts in an effort to the culture that he he carves in and I think that's I think that's really to be admired by Taka definitely yeah yeah so that's um yeah that's me well cool well I, I appreciate you being on I appreciate you taking time I know it's it's your work day right now. I just got home from work, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, all good. Absolutely. No, it's been great. All right. Well hopefully I get to see you sometime this summer. Well yeah, I'll be down in I'll be going from here. I'll be uh doing some work in Northern Territory, which is the top of Australia. Um Yeah. Then when I come back from that, we're pretty much jumping straight over to Canada to do the Chetwin competition. And then, That's exciting. Yeah, and then I'll be traveling down to see you at uh, at Reed Sport. Um, so, oh, cool! You're go- you are going to Reed Sport. Yeah, yeah. So I'll see. you. All there. right. Yeah, should be good. So I look at this you. Cool. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Should be great. Thank you for listening to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure and go to check out our other episodes. And if you want to help the podcast, please be sure to subscribe, like it, share it tell your friends about it. And if you have any ideas for who I should interview next or different topics that you'd like to hear about, you can email me with woodworks at gmail.com.